Welcome to the Heal Everything Podcast with none other than Tama Aziz Serwa. You are not here by coincidence. This is a sacred space for the holy, ratchet woman who knows that she has the power to heal everything. I'm going to help you learn some new things, create a legacy of healing, elevate your mind. You do not want to miss an episode of this podcast. So make sure you subscribe and you share and you favorite us. And invite your sisters because we're about to have a powerful conversation. Tune in. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back, power people. You are listening to Tamar Aziz Sewa, and I have been receiving incredible feedback about how this season's uh, topic has been resonating with you all. I have heard the laughter over uh, Zariel and my mom. And, you know, for me, authenticity has always been the key to my success. And being able to share my family and the conversations we have that help us heal has been um, memorable, exciting, interesting. (laughs) It's been all of that for me. And so um, I have with me Queen Zariel, who is gently snoring in the background. It's nap time. We just came back from Atlanta and the girl is worn out. I said, listen, I need you to be a part. So that's her contribution. And we have my mother, Linda Yule, who is going to join me in the dialogue about healing generational womb trauma. Her and I have personally had a lot of great conversations about that. So go ahead and greet the people. What's up? <laughs> <sighs> That's my mother. I don't I have no words. Do y'all? And she really thought she was being hip and fly. You should have seen her face. Like she leaned back with and was like, what's up? You know. I don't think she realizes that the greetings have, you know, changed a little bit. I don't know what it is now. I can't keep up, but Oh, I was listening to some trap music the other day and a guy was like, cause you're nothing but a rooster. And I spent like five minutes trying to understand what that means. I have no clue. You have no idea. (laughs) Anyway, I was in my grandmother's womb when you were in her womb and I was in my womb. When I started this work, um, I always heard that the decisions that I would make about my health and well-being could cleanse and repair things seven generations behind me and seven generations ahead of me. And the reason why I think generational healing plays out that way is because we model behavior. Your mother is your first encounter with God. Your mama made you. You are bone of her bone, flesh of her flesh. In her image, you're made, right? And then your mother shows you how she does life. And so you eat like you're taught to eat and modeled. And, you know, you think and dance. You know, you ever see somebody, you're like, oh, girl, you got your mama's walk. Or you got her smile. You, you know, her mannerisms, So a lot of these generational patterns that we're describing, that we're trying to repair are, from my perspective anyway, 
modeling of behavior and modeling of certain value systems. And so my question for you, Ma, is when did you start thinking about what happened to your womb, your womb story, and how that would affect your children? When did I start thinking about how my womb story would affect my children? Mm-hmm. I think it might have begun prior to my becoming a mother, but it didn't really start taking form and action, I don't believe, until after I became a mother. I do recall enrolling myself in courses when I was in California to understand human behavior. I took a course in childhood psychology. I took courses in early childhood education. Um, I read a lot of books relating to parenting and raising children because I, I, I wanted to know things that I felt I didn't know because I wanted my my children to have even better than what I had. So I would say it might have been in the early 80s when I first started thinking about the question you asked. So I know for me, um, it mine was in the reverse because you remember when I found out that I was diagnosed with PCOS and they said the only way I would ever be able to have a child would be through in vitro fertilization. My womb story and my unprocessed trauma for me became the catalyst for how I became a mother. I had to heal in my mind to even bring Zah here. So it started, you know, for me before she got here. And what motivated me was reading uh, Sacred Woman by Queen Afua. I always give respect to her collection of works because that book changed my life and birthed Tama Aziz Sewa. So when I'm sitting with my clients and I'm helping them process what's happening in their womb health, I feel like I'm interviewing their womb. I'm asking if your womb could speak, what would she say her journey in this life has been? So, Linda, Jean, Tarva, Yule. Mm, say it again. If your womb, you want to get a man to say that again. I ain't saying that again. <laughs> if your womb could speak, what would she say in all of these years of living? her journey in this life has been? Very very, uh, educational for one. Very, very strong. There's an evolving that takes place 
frequently, even, even today, one of the conversations that I was indulged in was doing the best that I knew to do and how I had decided to devote myself to be a full-time student in this thing called life. Many of the questions that I had when I first began mothering, as soon as I thought I had all the answers to the, the particular questions that I remember, it seemed like the questions changed. <laughs> mm-hmm. And even with watching this next generation, Zariel and those in her generation growing, there's one thing that is the same. You you base decisions based on the knowledge that you have. And it's always a shock when you find out that there was um, a serious miseducation. When you thought, this is the way that it's done. And then when the little ones come along and say, oh, but there's another way. The way that we protect the way that we train. Yeah, it's an ongoing um, conversation. And my body speaks to me a lot about what was, what is. And even though sometimes I think, oh, I'm done. My body reminds me as long as I still breathe, as long as I still awake, there's conversations to um, to have. There's moves to, to take. And so I'm very pretty much pleased with the awareness and and the openness that I have and the understanding that I still get. And one one of the main things that I understand more than anything is that everything must change. Nothing stays the same. Do I drop the mic now or do I hand it to you? <laughs> you hand it to me. <laughs> so, when I reflect on my womb story, it included trauma. Um, it included pleasure, learning pleasure. Um, learning how pleasure intersected with my value system around... God and what God's will was for my for my body. <laughs> um and if you haven't caught the season on the power of pleasure, you should go and listen to the replays because I talk about how I found God in my flesh. It's a very powerful season as well. I remember feeling like my womb had its own um brain. When I first started doing my womb healing work in Queen of Fools book, and you know, if any of you have read Sacred Woman and gone through the Sacred Woman process, you know that there's a gateway and you're doing this with a community of women and all that. And I remember when I read that you're supposed to talk to your womb, <laughs> I was sitting in my bedroom and I was like, hello, is it me you're looking for? <laughs> 
But I immediately was taken into a vision by my womb. And I hear what was what was interesting. This had to be in like December. So I remember it was around Christmas time. And I am in this vision sitting in a movie theater. And on the screen is passing all of these people who have violated me. I had processed a lot of my trauma through amnesia. I just did not remember until I had the capacity to remember and process the wisdom of my brain. But this is what made it even more profound for me. God has never given me a revelation without a witness because my revelations are very powerful. I called my mother to tell her my vision and you had had the same vision. And began on the phone to name the people that was on the movie screen in my vision. My mother and I have always had a very deep telepathic uh, bond. And now it's interesting to see that between her and Zariel. Zariel will say out loud what my mother is thinking. It's fascinating. The gift that the women in my family have. We hear what is unsaid and we hear it very clearly. I don't know who's listening and and whether or not you've actually put in some work to not only understand your own womb story, but it would benefit you to sit with the women in your family, to sit with your grandmother, your aunties, your own mother, and interview her womb and ask her to tell you her story of womanhood and developing from baby to child to adolescent to woman, what was her journey? And you have the womb of your mind and the womb of your body and the womb of your spirit. You know, some of my clients do this and they find that hysterectomy has been running rapid through their family. Fibroids has been running rapid, but nobody knew until somebody asked. Mom, why do you think People don't have more information. Why aren't, I know in the old times, women talked a whole lot more and that's how we transferred our wisdom. Why aren't we talking as much and telling our stories about what's happening in our bodies like we used to? I don't remember... Uh, used to. I think a lot of it is a cultural thing. Mm. Um, many a times there's just things that were taboo that were not talked about. I, I Here's a story that you've heard many a times of my brown leather dress, my white uh, opaque stockings, my brown penny loafers with real pennies in them, part down the middle of my head with two braids, white ribbons, and a pencil bang, and standing in front of the classroom with the teacher telling me that I needed to go see the nurse. And I wanted to know why. When I finally got to the nurses and I was really upset because I, I was cute that day and I, I just wanted to present the answer in front of everybody. 
And I noticed that there were strange looks uh, on the faces of the, the, the children in the classroom with me. I was 12 years old. I went down to the nurse's office. She asked me, did I know why I was there? And I said, no. And she told me to look at my, my stockings, my tights I had on. And I freaked out. I did not know where the blood was coming from. It had messed up my stockings. And I was hysterical for a very long time. And I remember my mom saying, why are you so upset? And I said, what is wrong with me? What is this? Now, my two sisters who are older than I am, eight years, mom, I remember what mom said. She said, well, didn't your sisters talk to you about this? I thought they would. And my mother had so grandma didn't think that she needed to talk to you about that. Um, we didn't have those type conversations. My mother and I, we we did not. Um, my sisters, who by the time I was eight years old, they were already leaving the house. You know, they were. My sister Julene, she moved to the D.C. area when she was seventeen. So right after high school, she was gone. And I do remember this because it was so traumatic for me getting getting my cycle. And I remember my mother had to return to work. And I fell on the on the floor and grabbed her around her ankles and said, Don't leave me. And all I thought was I had fear because there was blood coming out of my body and I didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. Now there were a lot of people that I talked to growing up. My favorite people were elders. Sitting out on the porch, I would go and talk to old people, and we talked about a whole lot of things. There were a lot of women, and we talked about a whole lot of things. But the sacredness of the body or the changes that take place in the body, those weren't conversations that took place. How do do you feel that impacted you, not having those conversations? Not knowing... um, I believe it caused a lot of, of traumatic experiences. And it also is a direct effect on what I began informing my daughter. There were things I didn't know that males go through as children. Didn't find those things out until years later. But I knew that I had set my mind if I ever had a daughter, we would have those conversations. And so when you were born, I was very diligent about it was nothing that was taboo. Um, and still being shocked that there's some things that we did not get to cover. And you and I spent a lot of time. My, my mother worked three jobs and she had six children. I know that my mom, the majority of her time, she she was away working. Um, my grandmother and I had a lot of conversations about things that I was beginning to experience. And I do remember my grandmother's conversations with me were, we don't talk about that. So that's, that's a, a generational culture type thing. Now, I don't know about other cultures. Uh, maybe there's a circle where the women... You know, talk to the girls. Yeah, there in other cultures, I actually taught on this 
and I teach on this in my Power Pleasure Masterclass, how other countries, other cultures don't have the kind of inhibitions and fear of perversion that we experience here in America. They actually educate their children very early about sex and sexuality. And those countries tend to have lower rates and incidences of teenage pregnancy, STD transmission, all of that, because they don't try to suppress that knowledge and not talk about it. They put it all out there, Um, which I think is valuable. You know, even with Zariel, I don't hide things from her. If she gives me a signal that she sees it, I don't ignore her need to be educated about what she sees. And so, you know, we have a very, uh, what I call, wild and free energy in our mother-daughter dynamic. And instead of, because I remember hearing growing up, if a child showed any kind of sexual curiosity or any kind of exploration of her body, the assumption was something happened to that child. Versus this could just be a natural stage and part of the development. But I think that that dynamic existed in our community. That's where I saw it. Because the mothers and the grandmothers and the aunties had something happen to them that was unresolved and not fully processed. So there's this delicate line when we talk about healing generational womb trauma of protecting and projecting. It's a very, very thin line because sometimes you're trying to protect your children when there are no threats. But because you're so passionate, then you begin to parent in a way that says the world is not safe. And is that really the goal, right? So there's this real delicate line. We got to be vigilant, yes. But we also have to be mindful of playing out our fears onto our children. And Zaza really good reinforcer of that for me. If I start getting anxious about something... (laughs) My child, who is only six years old, will literally say, oh, mommy, take a deep breath. Calm down. Everything is okay. And I'm, you know what, son, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I think that if we would talk more and not fear the knowledge then we can transfer more understanding to those coming behind us. And I think this is important because it affects the relationship because I listen on both sides of my work. I work with elders. I work with middle-aged women. I work with young women. So with the young women, I hear them holding resentment and frustration towards their mothers because they don't understand. And they don't understand because mama never told her story. So how can she understand why her mother is the way she is? How can she know who the woman is before she became your mother if mama doesn't tell her story? And I challenge my young woman to go ask. 
so you can understand. But I also challenge my elders. Why are you withholding? I've had women in session with me say things to me in their 70s and 80s. They've never told anybody. Like they've held it that long. And they've held it in their body that long. So for those of you listening, I'm hoping that you're feeling inspired to look at healing generational wound trauma through authentic, transparent communication with those coming behind you and those who have gone ahead of you, right? Your elders on both sides of it. I think it's important that we know Oh, that uncle touched everybody or, you know, like those things are important to uh, process. And because I think generational patterns are transferred through our choices and our behaviors, right? If mama ate nothing but processed sugar while carrying you, then she she's created an appetite for certain types of things in your DNA. Right. And if you eat like mama and big mama, then you're going to get diabetes like big mama. And like, you know, so for me, it's behavioral. Um, And that's a good thing because you can choose which behaviors you will do. Right. But we need to understand the layers of it. And I think that the quickest, most efficient way to do that is to have conversations and talk about it. Zion, I talk all the time. Whenever she has a question about her body, um, she's being raised like I was raised. I used to go cock my leg up right in front of my mama's face and say, look, something's going on here. What is it? And I will never forget the day that Zariel came in my bedroom crying, mommy, there is something black in my yoni. I said, girl, it's always darker like that. She didn't know the skin tone was darker, mom. She thought... (laughs) I remember the day you, called, you, was you called me. Uh-huh. Well, what did you do? I said, you don't remember what, what took place? You said, yeah, I remember. But what I did, I didn't just tell her everything was okay. I pulled out. I have a sacred mirror um, that I use for my womb mirror work. And I said, all right, Zah, tell me when you can see your yoni. And let me explain to you what your yoni is and how it looks. And I showed her. She said, oh, she said, Mommy, what's that little round thing? Because it always tickles when I touch it. I said, oh, Jesus, help me, Lord. Mm-hmm. I didn't see that one coming. I told her what that was. Daughter, that's called clitoris. Um, oh, well, what does it do? I explained to her what it does. This was like at four. She's asking me these heavy-hitting questions. Mm-hmm. And then this one came. Do you have one, mom? <laughs> yes, daughter. What do you do with yours, daughter? We're not ready for that conversation. <laughs> oh, we're not ready for that. But I remember these special special moments. You know, I remember when I taught Zariel how to make her first strand of waist beads. And I sat there and watched her pray over her beads and string them all together. And I watch her now, even as she's sitting here napping with the, her waist beads around her waist. And um, my daughter will not know when, when I'm on my moon and she decides she wants to bust in the bathroom 
I'm like, what? She's like, what is going on with you? <laughs> this is called a cycle. Remember the day she came to me, she said, Grandma, you need to check on your daughter. I said, well, what's wrong with her? She's in the bathroom and there's just blood. <laughs> no, do you remember when we went to Memphis and we yeah. were at the airport Yeah. and I had to go to the bathroom. I was on my moon. Yeah. And so, you know, you're in a public bathroom, you take your children in with you. And what does my child do to embarrass the hell out of me? Everybody heard it. Oh, my. It's just so. I was like, you know, <laughs> I can't with you. Okay. I, but I, said, I said, here, come, 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 into the, come into the store with me, Zariel. She came in with me. This And baby. then because I'm different, out loud, she said, why are your panties so big, Grandma? I said, oh. Gosh. Just loud and, and just blasting. Don't you right? have panties with flowers and lace and stuff like that? I call these old old lady panties. Oh, we gotta get you some more panties. Mm-hmm. And the people they just oh they was cracking up. I said you, you know could what? hear go back to your mother. Oh no, I'm not going over there. <laughs> bathroom. I was just like my life. I can't make this up. So yeah, I love though that Zariel is like that. I love that she's aware. Um, when she has her moments of looking at her body and saying, oh, mommy, I want my breasts to be like yours one day. I'm like, girl, trust me, these bras are expensive. You have no idea. You know, but just her innocence. I never want her to lose that. I always want her to feel safe in her body and connected to her womb. Before Za was even two years old, I had her placing her little tiny hands on her womb. And I would talk to her and say, this is a sacred space. This is the bridge between heaven and earth. You have power right here in your womb. Now that she's six, I watch her from time to time, run around here, uh, undressed, wanting to lay hands on her womb and look in the mirror. And yeah, freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And I believe that. I believe that. When you truly are okay with your story, with your experiences, with who you are and who you've become, that's a divine thing. And that's something we need to pass along. I know that during the years when I was growing up, there was a fear that if you talked about certain things, then you were opening up a world to to children that they didn't really need to know about <clears throat> talking about sex or talking about the body. Um, I do remember now. If anybody touch you, here, here's one. When when my cycle started, and my grandmother said to me, um, "You're becoming a woman now, and that means no one can touch you." Okay. So the first day I went back to school, which I stayed home almost 30 days, I I, I was embarrassed for one yeah. because everybody knew. And was teasing. Yeah. And, and the, I, I was the youngest among the girls. They were shocked that I didn't know. I was shocked that they didn't tell me. The, mm. These were some of my best friends. How come we never talked about this kind of stuff? We were too busy. So getting- you... You reversed that curse. You made sure your children weren't oh, ignorant about it. Oh, look. Let me tell you about when 
first I'll finish the story about my grandmother. Mm-hmm. So when my friends, my female friends saw me, they wanted to give me a hug and I would take off running. And when people wanted to touch me, I would not let them touch me. And I came home and I told my grandmother I had a miserable day at school. And she said, well, baby, what happened? Well, you know, now that I get I get this, and my name for her was Rosie. Mm-hmm. Now that Rosie comes to visit me, you know, I can't let people touch me. She said, well, what do you mean? You told me that people cannot touch me. So when my girlfriend's going to hug me, when you want to hug me, I, I don't let anyone touch me. Oh. And I remember my grandmother <laughs> laughing. I think mama was laughing. She said, baby, you know what I mean. But I didn't know what she meant. No, because there was no context given to you. And even after she found out what my understanding of nobody can touch you, I don't recall a more in-depth conversation. So you could still understand. Which is probably how you found yourself 16 pregnant. Oh. Uh, I, you you remember that story? Mm-hmm. I was watching Planned Parenthood mm-hmm. uh, in high school. Uh, we had those real films. And it was going around and making that noise. And I looked at the film and said, hold on a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's not how babies come into the world. And I just disrupted the whole class. And when I saw sperm and they had the name semen and how it fertilized the egg and they showed us um, the penis and the vagina, I screamed and the lights came on. The teacher said, what is wrong with you, Linda Jean? I said, that can't be. Well, why not? But that's the way it is. No, 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 no. See, I know that can't be because what you're showing me, I did that with him. (laughs) And that's how I found out what, not only what intercourse was, but when I was asked, well, where do babies come from? The stork brings the babies. You know, I love my grandmama, but I'm so (laughs) mad at her for that. I am. I'm so mad at her. But but that's a real thing that happens. I was 15 years old and still, now, I when I look back, there is a knowledge that I did have because I would sometimes ear hustle with the conversation of grown folks. Like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Look at her hips over there talking about, you know, someone else. Yeah, I know she's been with a boy. I have these memories of these things, but I really honestly was naive about what was really being talked about and even the older women I, no one really talked to me about these things until after and when you had to go to the office or something and that's how you found out she was pregnant no when when that um thing happened with Planned Parenthood and I took off running they could not catch me mm-hmm. they contacted my mother and said your child has taken off and she took off running. My mother found me, and I explained to her. And what was amazing was, well, see, I still continued my cycle. And 
I still I was still bleeding. So the thought of being pregnant, my mother noticed that I was using less pads, and I heard her have a conversation with my sister Julene in Washington. And I remember my sister getting on the phone and she asked me the right questions. But now that I know what I had seen in the film, I wasn't going to tell the truth. Mm. I, I wasn't going to say that's what I did. But see, it was already, they knew the signs. Mm -hmm. they, they, they knew what was going. So my mother decided to take me to the doctor and he wanted to know how many cycles I had missed. And I said, well, the last two have not been eight days like they, they normally were. Did the test and I was seven months pregnant. Seven months mm -hmm. pregnant. Mm-hmm. And I you was, were how old? I was 15. Yeah. And Did I, you and my grandmother ever talk about that? Oh, it. when I say depression was heavy, I didn't know what depression was at the time. But now that I'm more educated on what depression is, I it just was an addition to the sadness I already had. Mm. Um, my mom was pregnant and she was 42. I was pregnant and I was 15. My mom blamed so much on herself. Um, she believed that something had happened while she had taken a vacation. That's not when it happened. And no matter how many times I tried to explain to her, that's not when it happened. I knew when it happened and, and I knew how it happened. I just didn't have an understanding of what was happening. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was curious as to why does your wiener, you know, get hard like that? Well, you didn't know. You didn't understand. I, you had no context. I didn't really understand. Now, as as knowledgeable as I am now, I look back and it's hard for me to say I didn't know. There is some things you do know. Instinctually. Instinct, yeah. yes. Um, I think everyone was shocked because I remember when I first heard not Linda Jean. I also remember the good girl syndrome. Mm -hmm. So now I wasn't a good girl anymore. I also remember the the friends that I wasn't supposed to hang around with because they were teens who were pregnant. And I actually thought it was something contagious. I love <laughs> <What is it? laughs> I did. You didn't know. No, I didn't know. So when I became pregnant, you thought she caught it, and the, and my friends could not hang around with me, and I start asking questions because you've been with a boy. I I could be a bad influence on their child, and their child would start doing what I did. But there was a see <laughs> when I see now how long it could take someone to get pregnant and understand now that the first time you do it, you can get pregnant. I I have a, a, a better, uh, what's the word? Forgiveness of my 
not knowing. I Once I found out, it was like, oh, you have to do that thing that I did a whole lot with somebody before you get pregnant. Mm-hmm. That's not fair. I, I was supposed to have all these experiences and stuff, mm-hmm. and I didn't. And I hear people talk about how much they liked it. Mm-hmm. And I did. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was. So you felt cheated on every angle yeah, of it. it, it was, and how I do you... know this. If I had known for sure that what I was experimenting with that day, because I did not want to have children, and that is the thing that would get you to have children, what he and I just, uh, played around with in the hallway would not have happened. Mm. And I remember coming home to my grandma saying, hey, I saw this white stuff that came out. It's kind of clear, kind of like snot. And she was shocked. She said, you saw, and I told her. And I remember, she said, don't talk about this no more. And she said, don't do that again. And whatever you do, don't tell your mama. Because mm. not only did my mom, I, I believe that my mom, my mama would kill me, but she would also kill the person who had done this with me. My mother, her her protection over her children, when when I began to be, but the biggest threat in this whole scenario was the lack of information, because children do explore. They do. But they will they explore uh, with the level of consciousness they've been given. Right. And so as I, made- as I heard you acknowledge my grandmother's experience, I have um, empathy because the reality is the lack of information had real consequences for her child. Yeah. What, what I also remember is You said there was a connection between you and I that when I would come to you and say, hey, what you doing? And you would not tell me the truth of what you were doing. I begin to doubt that I really had intuition. You know that parent intuition? I do remember times when my mother would ask me the same question. What's going on? See, there was a girl that lived upstairs above us and they had a color television. We had black and white TVs. Mm-hmm. And I, when I went upstairs to see something on the color television, my, I remember saying to her, can they see us? And she said, yes. I said, well, they can see you dancing around because we were trying on the bras of our parents. Mm-hmm. We we wanted to. Mm-hmm. And they didn't fit. Mm-hmm. But I was afraid. Because I didn't want someone to see me trying out. Because then maybe the people on TV could go back and tell my mother that I was trying on my girlfriend's mother's lingerie and, you know, mm-hmm. and makeup. And so when I look back and see how much I did not know. There is a possibility that maybe some some traumas that I went through would not have happened because that's exactly what was on my mind when you came into the world. 
she will not be naive. She will not mm-hmm. know. You made sure of it. I remember when you told me when I was um, still in diapers, couldn't even really speak English. And a neighbor's son had inappropriately touched my diaper just trying to put me in my car car seat. seat. And did I bite him or something you said I did? I told you. But very early I had an awareness of the sacredness of my, my womb space, my yoni, my body. You drilled that in. What I wasn't prepared for was emotional manipulation. Yeah. That part I wasn't prepared yeah. for. So that did make room for some traumas. Most of my um, womb trauma from a sexual perspective was peer molestation because I trusted my friends. Yes. And it's interesting how as a result of that experience, I've recovered from that that those experiences but I still have real difficulty socializing and trusting people. Yeah. They get too close and my antennas go right up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There, there are times when I see young children today and they're being kids mm-hmm. and they're playing. But my my flashback memories will come back get to triggered. Mm-hmm. when I was playing and a child who knew how to manipulate me to do what they wanted me to do, even without my knowing what it was, I remember not liking being pressured. Mm-hmm. And coerced. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so when I did come into the knowledge of what was done, anger. Yeah. Oh, I was so... When, when that vision came, because remember I told you, I suppressed my memories of a lot of things. Um, until 2009 when I started doing my womb healing work. And one of the people who violated me for years in my childhood, I remember having to go to church and stand next to her in the choir. After now remembering. And it was taking everything in me not to set off that choir stand in the middle of the song. Because I'm sitting here trying to hold my notes and hold my mule. But I remember... And then I always had these questions. I wonder if the other people remember. I wonder if they remember these experiences too. You know, so it's just just interesting when we talk about trauma. Trauma is deep and it does take time and consistency to recover. And if there's anybody listening that can relate to what we're talking about, we're just sharing. My mother and I, it's kind of like what you see is what you get. You know, we're not scripted. We're just flowing. Um, but support yourselves. This is part of the reason why therapy for me is non-negotiable. Because not only do I have my own womb story and my own story of triumph, because I am triumphant in it. Um, but when I'm holding space for others, I listen to women's tragedies every day. So, you know, if you are an influencer, coach, a professional empower, you must be impeccable with your self-care in every area, your mental health, your spiritual health, your physical health, your emotional well-being. It's important that you do your best and you make sure that your cup is overflowing so you're not pouring out of your cup. Pour out of the saucer what runs over 
And be okay if you're in seasons where you don't have enough to run over. So maybe it's time to just let somebody else take the baton and help the people while you help yourself and rest and refill. But to every mother listening, to every daughter, to every grandmother, because we have listeners in 27 countries ranging from 18 to 60 plus. (laughs) I'm asking you, have the necessary conversations. Even with all the conversations and education that I was giving to you, my idea was this. Things that I experienced, my child, my children would not. And when I found out that they had stories that I had not heard because they either forgot. um, Well, things just didn't go as I had planned. I, I thought that the moment prior to anything happening, there would be alerts and mm-hmm. there would be conversations mm-hmm. and it would be stopped in its track. No, nah, because when that pubescent stage hits, um, it's natural for every child to want to practice rebelling against what they've learned. Yeah. And the dynamic, now the dynamic between you and I, mine wasn't motivated by rebellion. Mine was motivated by what I thought you could handle. So because you had taken such a high stake and me not experiencing certain things, it began to feel like I didn't have the freedom to explore because it could really break my mother's heart. It could really yeah. hurt. So it became this this interesting like, oh, I want to tell her. Like when I decided to have sex, I remember I had to fast and pray for weeks before I told you because I needed God to guarantee me <laughs> that you would not die. And then I remember telling you and you acted like you was dying. And I remember looking at you like, I talked to God about this already. So I know you're going to live and make it through it. But I really thought you was going to die because oh. I because I decided yeah. to have sex. Um, and so it was interesting to see, you know, that line of I want you safe. I want you aware. I want you, you know. But then, you know, we talked about this in the other episode. How do we create that space where, you know what? I trust that you're okay and I've given you enough right, that you right, can navigate right, through right. it. I I I do remember grieving um, a, a lot. This is not the way I planned it. Mm-hmm. She wasn't supposed to. But can we just say this? In the midst of the snotting and crying, y'all, oh, do you know what the first question was? <laughs> Well, did you, did you orgasm? I'm like, what? I was like, yes, ma. Well, how do you know? I was like, really? Is this what you want to talk about? And and did you like it? I remember that. And the look on your face like, Like, what? what? So, however, one of the reasons, there's an 11 year gap between my firstborn and my thirdborn is because once I discovered that it's not the stork. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pace yourself. I said, this will <laughs> never happen to me out of On my terms. On my terms. On my terms. Yes. When I have another child, it'll be the way that I want it and it'll be planned. Um, 
But I can tell you this. I remember my mother's grief. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember when I looked in the mirror and said to myself, you said that you would give your life to protect your children from things like all of what you're finding out about. And then I remembered my mother. One of the things that was an advantage for those who preyed upon me, they knew what would happen if my mother, even if my mother found out that somebody was talking to me the wrong way. Um, the weapons that my mother carried. Mm-hmm. No, I remember when I would go stay with grandma. And she had stuff under that bed, behind the bed. She was no joke. You don't don't hurt her children. So some of the people who preyed upon me, the first thing they would say to me was, if you tell your mother, or if your mother finds out, you know how Charlene is. She will kill me. And then your mother's going to be arrested. She's going to be in jail. And there's some people in there that your mother won't be able to beat up. And they're going to kill your mother. So it's always the fear of this will kill my parent. I was watching The Color Purple. And when he said to that girl, now don't tell your mama because if she ever finds out, this will kill her. That thing, Oh, yeah, that's textbook uh, yeah, manipulation. That thing went through know. my heart like. So let's, so let's acknowledge. So let's demonstrate to our listeners a perfect example of healing the generational trauma in this conversation, we both identified it showed up in different ways, but it mm-hmm. produced the same outcome of if I am honest with my mother, yeah. it's going to kill her. Yeah. I had that experience. Yeah. You had that experience. So right now we, we decree that Zaria won't. Correct. Even when she came to me and said, mommy, who do you love the most? You remember that? Yes, I do. She was shocked when you didn't say And her. I said, <laughs> me. And she said, what? Like, you should have seen my baby face. Like, she couldn't understand. I said, and Zaria, who do you love the most? She said, mommy, you. I said, you should change that. Yeah. You yeah. should change that. I never want my children. I only have Zah now, but I do want to have more in the right vision and energy. But I don't ever want my child to feel obligated yeah to give her life to me (laughs) and the way i ensure that is i don't feel obligated to give so much of myself to her that now as i age and she gets older i feel like you owe me certain kinds of care and interaction because i gave it all and and zah would be looking at me like i asked you to do that you sacrifice for me and, and we do that. We, it's we, unhealthy. We, we do that and it puts a burden on the child to be free. Yeah. It's like, do I be free or do I got to care for my mama's heart, her expectations, her standards that she holds for me? She don't want me to embarrass her and all of that stuff that plays yeah. out. What the When you were talking about outgrowing your, your, your mother's dreams, when I look at some of the things that I dreamed about your life would be. Um, some of them are things that wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. And I know 
that they were some of the same dreams that my mother had. It's like each generation does work and, 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 and hope that the following generation, that their life experiences. But here's what I think better. is missing in that. You're right. But here's what's missing. I think the older generation retires too soon. I don't see enough co-creating. So that the older generation, because they have so much trauma that accumulates, that gets unresolved, they get extremely exhausted. And the young generation doesn't have the kind of elder wisdom that we used to have. We don't. We don't have enough of that meeting of the two where, listen, I know you ain't going to do every, everything the way I think you should, but that doesn't mean I'm not here and available and with you in your journey. And and we don't have the young people say, okay, I can feel that love and presence and I still have enough room to explore and be what y'all want me to be different. Yeah. Right. So we have to do better and not, um, not get so overwhelmed and not have enough tools mm-hmm. to know how, for me, it's as simple as the conversation. It's like, I see miracles happen when women come together and talk. That's right. That's the medicine. That's the medicine. So um, this episode is longer, but I feel like it was pretty juicy and y'all got some nuggets. I'm going to let uh, Queen Zariel come in. I'm going to put the mic to her as she snores. <laughs> She slept through this whole episode, y'all. And baby's tired. We had an early flight. We were at the airport like 4 a.m. So I get it, Zara. I get it. If she was here, I think she would say to the people, be happy, be free, and love your womb. Okay. Bye-bye. That sounds like that. I want to close us out with a prayer. I'm going to ask you to take a deep breath and place your hands over your womb. And just breathe in through the nose, out through the mouth. To everybody listening, may your womb be at peace. May she be a temple of joy, creativity, and power. May you honor her as she honors you. And may you always remember That the relationships you have are the arms and legs of your womb. So choose wisely who gets access and why. I call upon Mother Wisdom to come and bring her gifts to give you discernment, to give you the capacity and the skills to flush out what no longer needs to remain and call in the things that will keep you centered in your joy. Ashe, amen, and namaste. The God in me, as always, enjoys communing with the gods that are in you. I have been thoroughly enjoying this season, and you know I always have greater coming. So to all of you faithful listeners, I appreciate that you hear something that resonates with you and feeds your spirit. Please share the podcast. Tell other people to favorite it and tune in. Um, I really enjoy the feedback that y'all give me about each episode. Have a great night. Peace.